You are listening to the sermon series, Follow. In this sermon, Pastor Dan Chung examines the gospel according to Luke, the identity of Jesus, and the cost of discipleship. The following is a presentation of LifeLight Church in San Francisco. For more information and other audio content, please visit LifeLightChurch.org. Yeah, it's not easy, huh? <laughs> uh, it's hard to do. Uh, I've done it a lot in the past. Uh, I'm going to take a break. Um, anyone, I, I know that Maya has gone seen a play at Cornerstone Church. Yeah. That was good. Did you take any friends? Oh, you went with your Caponi? Uh, yeah. Great. Yeah. Anyone else done anything? I know some of you went to Mount Davison, looked at the cross, the big cross. That was good. Interesting. Was it all decorated and nice? No, not yet. No, not yet. Who okay. went? I think Nikki and Monica and Josh and some people went on Thursday just to check it out. I wanted to Well, we do have a cross in the back there too. Um, so maybe you can visit that later on. But Easter um, is also one of those. I mean, I went yesterday to Golden Gate Park with Hannah to celebrate Easter, which was, uh, you know, egg hunt and uh, bunnies and all of that. And um, Easter also gets to be a very cultural thing. And I think we're one way, we're lucky that we're in a country that everyone celebrates Easter and there's talk about Jesus and all that. But it's also negative side of that is it just kind of gets... Um, diluted with just a culturalism and just things to do, um, family day. So we're missing a few here that has to be with family uh, because family celebrate Easter. And I get texts and messages from people like, hey, happy Easter. But do we know why we celebrate Easter? Do you know why you celebrate Easter? You know, what does Easter really mean to you? Or do you really celebrate? Or do we also, uh, even as follow Christ, just kind of go through this day as, oh, it's Easter, it's another church holiday, or it's holiday in the United States, you know, is that what our attitude is? Or what do we celebrate in Easter? What do we celebrate? One thing we celebrate is, we celebrate the work uh, work of God to love us and to bring us back to Him through the work of Jesus, right? We celebrate sacrifice He has made and we celebrate the resurrection, the victory that He has earned for us. But we also celebrate ourselves, some of us, ourselves. We celebrate our saved lives because of what Jesus has done. I'm like this. I have changed. My life is different. My onlook is different about the future. I can live for tomorrow, today, because of what Jesus has done, because he lives. Right? We celebrate our lives too. And one thing I hope is that we just kind of gather here today as we do on normal Sundays. But really, I really want us to celebrate Easter as a community. In that, that I'm not speaking, but all of you are sharing, celebrating Easter in your life. Like, this is what happened in my life. How God has changed and how God has blessed you. So do you have do you have story of Easter yourself to share? How you have died and resurrected to a new life. And I would love for us to have like Easter brunch in a larger place like we did, have done in the past when we went meeting here. Uh, have Invite families over and you guys share your Easter story. How you have died and how you're born again. Right? I think that's really the meaning and the way we can celebrate. Not only do we celebrate the work of Jesus, but also we celebrate the result of that work. Ongoing result. Even, even that ongoing result of what Jesus has done in our lives. So, may it be like, then are we going to do anything on Easter? But, may it be, then, 
I got these people, we're gonna set up this and we're gonna do that. Let's, let's have that be where you're leading, you're putting it together, but let's really take time to celebrate because I think we got lots of reasons to celebrate as a community. This is a community that has seen that changes lives, that people have come and grew, and their lives are changing. So we got a lot to celebrate. But that's kind of what I want to touch on today as we look at our text. Today is, do you remember that time when God came and touched your life? Your first love, so to speak, that's what the scripture says, your first love. Do you remember it? What it was like? What was it like? How did it affect you? How did it change you? And Easter came Sunday and we have perfect text uh, for us, which we're continuing on in uh, Luke chapter 18. So let's go ahead and read our text. And that's Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. It's a very short one. I'll read one verse and you can read the next. It's one of my favorite parables story in the Bible. Verse 9, he also told, the par- told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. But the tax collector standing far off would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast as saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The word of the Lord. What, What do you think? Some of you have heard this parable. What's our approach as we dive into this text? There's a couple of themes that we can definitely kind of take out of. One of it is humility, obviously. The last verse kind of says it, be humble, humble themselves. And we talked about that. It's one of the themes that we spoke of and it's going to continue on, humility. Um, And it's also about prayer because Luke gives us a hint of what this is about. And verse 9 says, who trusted themselves, and this is a theme, the activity of prayer. And last week, we studied about, the previous parable was about praying, praying desperately, praying with a desperate heart, desperate things to pray for. And so this parable kind of continues on in that theme, but also focusing on what, what kind of attitude should you have as you pray, right? So prayer, the spirit in which people should pray. But you've heard this parable, some of you, and it's pretty, there's something really easy to take away, right? There's two guys, right? Very different, right? They go up to pray. Pharisee is a good guy. You got to take it. It's not, we sometimes get a bad, you know, perspective on Pharisee, but Pharisee here is like, like, you know, people in church, deacons of the church, like me, the pastors, right? Like me or Pope, someone who's very holy, someone who's very good, Right? From people who's hearing this for the first time, the original listeners that Jesus is speaking to, um, they don't see Pharisee and his prayer as being boastful and prideful. They see it, oh, look at him. He does all these things and he's thanking God for it. And this is actually common rabbinic prayer that I thank God because blah, blah, blah. So he's a good guy. He's a good guy. He's faithful. He's dependable. 
and his tithing type, he's the guy that is the go-to guy in the church. So in any other church, who's the most go-to guy within the church? And some pastors would, yeah, it's this guy. It's that guy named James. It's that guy named Steve, right? That's him. He's a good guy, right? He does everything that he's supposed to. In comparison, the tax collector is the bad guy, right? He's the bad guy. He's the traitor in the society. He's the greedy guy. He's the guy who does everything wrong. He's hated. He's the unclean person. To the people who are listening to this, a tax collector came to pray? What? Why is he even there? You know, he shouldn't even be there. He's the bad guy. He's the villain, right? He's the criminal. He's the captain in the Korean boat that sunk and ran away and got saved. And as he was getting interviewed, he was drawing money. I mean, this guy took up. He was first to get saved. He left everyone behind and he got, he, you know, got on the boat and rescued himself just by himself. Right? And as he was being interviewed and thought, you know, hundreds of students, young people were dying, he was drawing his money from his wallet. Right? It's that guy. Okay? Tax collector is that guy. Just obnoxious villain. Bad guy like Lex Luthor or Joker. You know, just a bad guy in the story. So he's a bad guy. Right? So his prayer is kind of nice because he's saying, be merciful to me, a sinner. But you, we know, they know, the people who are listening to know who this person is. So what? No way. You know, even he's praying that prayer, is he sincere? Because we know who he is and what he has done. So, the whole parable, what Jesus is saying here, would shock the people who listen to this. They would be shocked. Okay, what? This makes no sense. This is complete reversal of what they think would happen or should happen. Complete reversal. Right? For us, we listen to this, we kind of get it because we have our, kind of you know, preconceived image and perception about Pharisees and oh, a tax collector is going to be saved, a sinner, you know, Jesus loves sinners. But what, how do we approach? One of the beauty of this parable is everyone who, well, I think most people, even I, I, listen to this parable and how do we respond? Our response is, God, thank God I'm not like Pharisee, Lord. Right? <laughs> that's our response. That's why it's so, this is the beauty of the parable. Is that's our response. Like, oh, well, I'm not like the Pharisee, I'm like the tax collector. So we also fail in this, right? So, it's a challenging parable for us, and it focuses on a number of things, humility and prayer, but that's not all. I think Jesus is onto something, and he's talking about tax collector being justified, and we continue that theme of vindicated, and he's talking about being justified and what it takes. Why is this tax collector justified? Because at the end, Jesus said, this guy went home justified. So what did he do? What was wrong and what was right? So let's look at it in sort of wider view. The scene is, uh, verse 10, it says, Two men went up to the temple to pray. Two men went up to the temple. So this is a very common scene. We need to understand. This is people going up to pray, and that pray means they went to worship. So different. there are two different meanings. Not only praying in solitude, but also praying as in worship and praising. They're all the same word. It can be reflected in the same word. And two men going up at the same time. What's the occasion? It's the daily service at the temple. There's a, it's called atonement offering. And it, there's twice every day at dawn and also at 3 o'clock. And this is when people gather outside the sanctuary uh, by the great high altar. And there's a sacrificial blood of lamb sprinkled over the altar. And then um, the priest does the ceremonial thing and he goes inside the temple. And when he goes inside the temple and there's a 
the trumpet being blown and there's a symbol being claimed and it's a sign that now it's time for you as an individual to offer prayers to God. So people who are in the outside of the temple would give their personal prayers and also people who are outside who couldn't make it who can hear the symbol and trumpet would be reminded oh this is time where we can offer the prayer to God. So people would offer their personal prayer at this time. So that's the scene. This is what's going on. So priest and tax collector both went up to pray and it came to the time where they are offering their own personal prayer. So, what about these two men? It says, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So we read about the Pharisee in verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying, does God, I thank you that I am not like the other people, um, even like this tax collector. So the way that he prays, he's standing and he prays himself, looking up to heaven, hands raised, which is typical. Um, and he's standing away from people, and which is typical too, for he doesn't want to be defiled by other people like tax collector. Because these priests have gone through the washing ceremony, they're clean, if they would even touch the clothes of people who hasn't gone through the washing ceremony, and a lot of poor people couldn't all the time, then he will be defiled and he will go to the summer again. So he's distancing himself from people who he believes is unclean. And he's praying aloud, which is kind of common, but he's using it, he's abusing it to get at people and in, you know, things that you know, praise himself, right? So his prayer, when you look at his prayer, the common prayer in the Bible is usually confession of sin, thanksgiving, and petition. And you look at his prayer, he doesn't have any of that, right? He doesn't have it. He just kind of brags about what he does, right? Opening prayer, he said, I thank God, blah, blah, blah. But God, that's the only time that God is mentioned. It's, I do this, I do this. I'm not like that, I'm not like that. His focus is on himself. God never enters the picture again. So verse 12, he prays, I fast twice a week. I give tenth of my income. What's required in Israel is that you, we, you, that people fast one time a year at the annual day of atonement for two days. That's it. That's only required. Very zealous Pharisee and priests would uh, fast maybe a little more than that. Two days before and two days after that. So a total of six days. Right? And they would brag about that. This guy, he's zealous, then zealous, then zealous. This guy said, I fast twice every week. Right? Tithing, what's required is you tithe by certain types of grain. You don't tithe everything. There are certain types of grain, and there's a book that had lists everything that you need to tithe. So people tithe stuff, but not everything. Like, do you tithe your net income or your you know revenue? Right? Do you include the tax or not? Right? This guy gets paycheck, and then he tithes right out of the paycheck. Right? Even what will go to the uh, IRS. So he said, I tithe everything. I don't keep track of which grains I need to tie. I tied everything, right? So he's super zealous. He does everything beyond and above everybody else. And he's got right to brag about it. And he's bragging, right? But there's something wrong, as you can kind of tell. He's love for God and he's doing all of these things, but he doesn't have compassion for people. He's rather judging others with contempt, right? Because you're either compassionate or contempt. And it says in the Bible, he was contempt, he was judging and hating on people, distancing himself from people. So we see the picture of Pharisee, but we need to put ourselves in the story. 
So put yourself in the story. Are you like the Pharisee? Are we like the Pharisee? The very beginning of the uh, parable says, in verse 9, is the, the intended audience for Jesus is, who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Who are these people? Right? We have name for these type of people. Self-righteous, prideful people. People who say, thank God I'm not like those people. Right? Are you like that? Do you do that? Raise your hand if you do that. Do you do that at school? Thank God I'm not stupid like those people who doesn't turn it on or, you know, who's lazy. See, I did my work, not like these people. What about at work? You know, thank God I'm not stupid like those people and lazy people. I know you're smiling, you're thinking it, right? Ah, oh, look at those people. So dumb, you know, they don't do work and, you know, they got no clue. We all do, right? When you're driving, me, especially when I'm driving, these people are horrible drivers. They should not have a right to drive. Is my sense. You know, I do it all the time. Like, oh man, thank God I'm a good driver. <laughs> or best driver ever. Uh, we do this all the time. This is us. This is us. We do it. Thank God I'm not like those people. I'm so much better. Right? Uh, you guys like Leo Tolstoy? Everybody, you know, his book. He says, quote, I have not yet met a single man who was morally as good as I. <laughs> right? Good luck being around him, right? We all do. This is who we are. We are like this. You know, we claim the righteousness for ourselves. And you know, the worst part of it is when it's religious righteousness. When religion comes around and create righteousness by what they do, what they, you know, the rules they follow, I know more, I do more, therefore I'm righteous. That's the worst part, right? That's the worst types of religion, right? So here's the problem with the self-righteousness. I'll give you four reasons. Four things that are a problem with the self-righteousness. Number one, and you can see it in the story. The, the, I think the main problem is, this is all about man-centered and not God-centered. He's comparing to everybody else, but not God, right? That's what this first is. That's what we're doing is, oh, look at these people. I'm better than these people. I'm not as bad as some. I'm okay. Like when you get to heaven, it's God, you know, our thing is, well God, you know, look at these people. I know these people. I'm not as bad as them. You know, like God's going to grade on curve. Right? You're not that bad. You know, there are a lot worse people. That's okay. Right? That's the problem. It's not God-centered. It's man-centered. We compare ourselves to others, not Jesus. And so we become judge. People become our judge too. The reverse word is, oh, how people are judging me, not God. How God would judge me. How I'm judged by the standard of who Jesus is, but how people behave. Number two, it's, uh, the problem with self-righteousness is that it's performance-oriented. It's all about earning it. Doing more, right? Doing less of bad things. Doing good of good things, right? So when it's all about performance... It's about what I do good. I do good stuff. I'm part of this thing. I recycle, right? I recycle. I, you know, support this cause. You know, the clean water or, you know. Um, Esther and I went to a Christmas shopping. And there was a save rabbits. Or was it rabbits? Right? Adopt rabbits or save rabbits. Like, and it's foundation for rabbits. I'm thinking, what in the world? 
We don't need to save rabbits. There are plenty of rabbits, right? Like people do funky stuff, like dumb. I think it's dumb, right? Things to oh, I support this cause, save whatever, right? Because we want to earn that righteousness. See, I do good stuff, right? I ride bicycle. I don't drive. I ride hybrid. You know, I save gas, clean air, or whatever, right? We try to earn righteousness ourselves. So the problem with that is it's all about becomes external, not internal. Now number three, it leads to pride. And that's what this guy is. It leads to pride. Because I've done this. Compared to other people, I'm not as bad. You become prideful. There's a, a church father named Augustine. And Augustine says, pride is like a mother who is pregnant with all sin. Pride. If you don't think you have sin, you have the greatest sin. Which is pride. Right? Ah, I don't do any of that stuff. You got the greatest sin of all. Pride. And lastly, talk about this. Self-righteousness leads people to be content, to judge others, to inflict pains on others instead of loving others, be compassionate. It's not about loving God and loving people. It becomes about me. I'm impressed with myself. I'm good. Look at me. Look at them. They need to be punished. They need to be, you know, they deserve what they got. It becomes contempt, not compassion. So Jesus is talking about justification and righteousness. Then what is, if not self-righteousness, True righteousness. Righteousness is not about, obviously, morality or code of conduct, how many rules you follow or how many things you don't. You know, um, Rob Schnitzer, his favorite quote from uh, Francis Chan is, you know, you're, church, you're a good person if you don't smoke and don't drink and you go to church. You know, that's not righteousness. Like what you do and what you don't. What righteousness, and the word that is used in the Old Testament for righteousness, is called Sidega, And it talks about relationship with God. Your Sidega means your relationship with God, also relationship with others because of your, of your relationship with God, even animals. Do you have Sidega, righteousness, relationship with others? So what righteousness is, it's not that I'm righteous because I do these things, but do I have relationship with God? Does God make me right? In our relationship. Because otherwise it's a broken relationship. Righteousness means right relationship with God. And the, the same word, sudega, also treats righteousness as, same, use the same word and meaning as, a gift. And this is in Micah chapter 6, verse 3 to 5. It says, Oh my people, what have I done to you? And it goes on and it ends with, That you may know the sudega, sudegat which is the saving acts, the gift, righteousness of the Lord. Righteousness is a right relationship with God, and righteousness is a gift that can't be earned. So sin, when we talk about righteousness, sin is not broken law, broken rules, but it's broken relationship. That's what sin is. That's the very root of sin, is broken relationship with God. And righteousness is a gift that makes the broken relationship mended, mended. So, how does tax collector approach that he is reaching, he is receiving this righteousness? Verse 13 says, But the tax collector, standing far off, with a different reason, right? He's standing far off, not because he thinks he's better than others, he thinks he deserves to be far off from others, because he's so sinful, right? 
would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast. He was beating his chest. The typical prayer is this. You cross your arm like this and you bow your head and you pray, standing. right, Just like servant approaching master. And that's his prayer posture. Is he has his head down, not this, but crossed arms, head down. And as he's praying, he's beating his chest. Have you ever had somebody beat their chest because of mournful and sorrowful and something was terrible? I'm more of an Eastern culture and most of you are in Eastern culture. Like, my grandma used to beat his, her chest. You know, uh, like, I go is like Korean. Like, you know, she do this, right? Beat her chest. Um, my mom never beat her chest because of her children. But some people, some mothers beat their chest because of children. Has your mom ever beat you, you know, her chest because of you, because of children? Um, my grandma did because of her children. She would like beat her chest. And we, when she also lost her children, her son died early, right? Um, before she passed away. It's a painful time. And people would beat their chest. In the Bible, only woman does. Like, I know no man who beat their chest. Like, men do do it. They rip their clothes in the Bible, right? Um, but they don't beat their chest. It's an act of woman, right? Beating the chest. And this is the only time, one of two times we only see a man beating his chest. And it's a continuous word. It's not that he beat it and he stopped. He's continually, as he's praying, he's beating his chest. The mournful and sorrowful, he feels so terrible. His sin is so overwhelming. He's beating his chest. The only time we see beating of chest is when people witnessed the death of Jesus and the Roman soldier said, this guy was innocent. And it says in the Bible, in Luke chapter 23, verse 48, it says people went home beating their chest in regret. That's his posture, beating his chest. His prayer is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's all he could say. That's his prayer. And the mercy here, it's not be, oh, please be good to me. The mercy here, the word, Greek word is hilas kumai. And that means uh, expiation. It means making atonement. He's at the atonement ceremony. And his prayer, God be merciful to me. He's saying, Lord, make an atonement for me, for my sin. Something take away my sin on my behalf is his prayer. And to that, Jesus said, this guy went home, justified. He found righteous. He was made righteousness. In Jesus' story, when we talk about justification and righteousness, it's not these both people, both of these two people. It's not about because of this person was justified. It's about in spite of these he was justified. Because through Jesus' atonement, we are made righteous. It's the only way that we are made righteous. That's the difference between Christianity and all other religions. All other religions would say, do this and do this and do that, and you will be justified. You will be righteous. You will make it to heaven, or whatever the good place they call it. Only in Christianity we say, there's nothing you can do to make right with God. It's a gift that's come to you. It's the righteousness that's been given to you through Jesus. And when we look at that, it's a perfect text, 
perfect word of God for Easter. That's what we celebrate. It's righteousness received. The relationship with God restored. Not because of what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. So, reflecting it, what about you? Was there a time when you beat your chest saying, God, make an atonement for me, a sinner? Reflect on that. When was the time? What was it like? I know, I, I know my you know, time that when I beat my chest and reflected and asked God for forgiveness to make an atonement for me. And you know, the trouble is, we don't, very few people, many, you know, not all Christians understand that as they come to the um, confessing their sins, confessing, you know, receiving faith. It's mostly like, oh, yeah, Jesus is great. I want it, sure. It needs to come from where this, the person recognizes who God is, how great God is, and you see yourself and go, I'm horrible. Because you're no longer comparing yourself to other people, but you compare yourself to God, it becomes God-centered, and you realize, I'm a sinner. There's nothing that can be done. God, please make an atonement for me. That's the time when we're justified. That's the time when we are saved. When we recognize that it is only Jesus, only in Jesus, that we are saved. Was there a time like that in your life? That you beat your chest? That's what the whole this thing is. Easter is remembering that time. And if you, if you can't remember that time, then do you see God? Or do you see people only still? Do you see God where you recognize, I am so far off from God. My relationship is broken. I need an atonement to make my relationship right with God. And the response, when we become justified, is what continues on in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says, and it's in your sermon note, And what does the Lord require of you, if you are justified? It says, but to do justice, and to love kindness, and to walk, how? Humbly with your God. As if there's any other way to walk with God. Humbly with your God. So it's compassion instead of contempt, humility instead of pride, and it's God-centered instead of man-centered. I have a Psalm 51 in the back of your sermon note, and I want to encourage all of you to spend the day, rest of the day, reading this and, and, and reflecting on this, and it's a perfect psalm. Not only is it a psalm that the text collector phrases, uh, recollects out of, but it's a perfect psalm giving us a glimpse of our attitude, our prayer to the righteousness of God. And it says, let me read for you. Psalm chapter 51, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. That's, the, that's what the text collector sees. My sin is ever before me. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. Indeed, I was born guilty, a sinner when my mother conceived me. You desire truth in the inward being, the attitude in the heart. Therefore, teach me wisdom in my secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Same words for righteousness. Make an atonement for me. Hide yourselves. Do not be angry with my sins. And blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain in me a willing spirit. And the response is, Then I will teach transgressors, I will teach others around me your ways. And though they will, the sinners will turn to you, will return to you. Deliver me from bloodshed, O God, O my God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your deliverance. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise, for you have no delight in sacrifice. If I were to give a burnt offering, you would not be pleased. The sacrifice acceptable God is a broken spirit. The spirit that was displayed in tax collectors. The broken spirit. A broken and con- contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Rebuild the kingdom of God. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in the whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. It's the Easter. When we get sacrificed, which Jesus has done, and the time we beat our chest. It's the time we can reflect on the, our attitude. That we have we moved away from compassion to contempt? Have we moved away from humility to pride? Have we moved away from being God-centered to from being man-centered to be God-centered? It's time for us to reflect as we remember that in that that Jesus was perfect when we were not, and He passed on. He received our sin. He did exchange. In Bible, in theology, it's called great exchange. He took our sin, died on the cross, made our relationship right with God. He made us righteous. Because when God looks at us, there's no more broken relationship. Our relationship with God is right. Because of what Jesus has done. And that's what we celebrate. And that's what we respond to. Let me pray. And we'll break the bread and the cup. Jesus, I pray that all our hearts will come to you with a broken heart saying, be merciful to me for we are sinners. And for those of us who have received that atonement and who are made righteous with you, help us reflect on that and celebrate it so that we may become more like you humbly walking with you. In Jesus' name, Amen. This concludes our presentation. For more information and other audio content, please visit lifelightchurch.org.